0: Well, we have come on this third Sunday in the month of November to what we have long called Harvest Day. We started the first Harvest Day in 1973, and we have celebrated a Harvest Day every year since then, 50 times now as we come to Harvest Day 2023. And Harvest Day is now the day when we culminate, in a sense, our emphasis on missions, though it really is going to continue on even into the month of December. But it is the day that we expound our chosen missions text, which I will be doing this morning, Lord willing, and begin receiving our faith promise cards, which we trust will come in over the next several weeks. And I really look forward to expounding that text each year, which is chosen some weeks before by discussion among the elders. And is chosen normally because of its wording that lends itself to the emphasis of missions. Our text this year, Psalm 108, verse 3, which says, I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. And so we find a text in the Word of God that is suitable for a missions emphasis, and there are lots of them. There are hundreds that we can choose from. If we lived to be a thousand, we'd never run out of different texts, but we choose one. And then on harvest day it is my privilege to take that particular text and to expound it and that always uh, proves to be not only challenging but delightful because it forces me to get into the text in its context and there are always some surprising elements that come out of that and I'll share some of that with you today as well. But God's word is that way. It's a treasure trove of unexpected delights, and we are going to see that, I trust, today. So today, praising God among the nations, that's our theme for 2024. We're looking forward, of course, to 2024 for our 2024 budget and involvement with missions. And the theme is praising God among the nations. We are going to see God's wisdom, power, majesty, and grace which must be proclaimed to every nation. And to that end, we're going to examine our chosen text today in three parts. Number one, the composition of this psalm. Number two, the declaration of the text, namely verse 3. And number three, some applications for us. So that's where we're going. Please join me as we make this journey. The composition of the psalm, Psalm 108, and this is what became rather surprising to me as I got into it. We'll look at the author, the source, and the repurposing of Psalm 108. You'll see what I mean. The author is inscribed in most Bibles as David. Mine says Psalm 108, assurance of God's victory over enemies, a song, a psalm of David. And indeed it is, undoubtedly. But the surprising thing is that in the manuscripts from which our various Bibles are translated, that inscription as this song, a psalm, song is correct, but psalm, having been composed by David is missing. So why then did our translators choose to include it? How did they decide that this was a Psalm of David if the manuscripts they were working from did not have that inscription? And I will tell you why. It is because of the source of the composition of this psalm. And so we move from the author to the source, and what we learn is that this psalm, 108, is actually... Rather significant portions of two other psalms that have been joined together to make one psalm. Verses 1 through 5 come from Psalm 57, verses 7 through 11. Verses 6 through 13 come almost verbatim from Psalm 60, verses 5 through 12. And so, and both of those Psalms are inscribed to David in the manuscripts, and if he wrote those two that this was made up from, then obviously he is the human author of this one as well. And so this Psalm 108, made up entirely of two other Psalms, and both of those other Psalms inscribed to David, therefore leads us to say that Psalm 108 is composed by David as the human author, and of course by the Spirit of God as the divine author. So to understand Psalm 108, we have to understand something of Psalm 57 and Psalm 60, right? If we're going to understand why this amalgamation. Psalm 57 was composed, we are told, when David was running from Saul and hiding in the cave in En Gedi. You will discover that if you will turn back to Psalm 57. And let me read just a few verses so you get a flavor of this psalm. By the way, the heading says, To the chief musician set to do not destroy, that's obviously the name of a tune, and a michtam of David when he fled from Saul into the cave. And at that time, he composed the words of Psalm 57, and it goes like this, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you. And in the shadow of your wing I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. I will cry out to God most high, to God who performs all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who would swallow me up. God shall send forth His mercy and His truth. My soul is among lions. I am among the sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongues a sharp sword, and so forth. And the psalm begins, therefore, as a plea to God, a song of, of uh, concern, of despair, of anxiety, of sorrow, of fear, and yet David rises above that in the last part of the psalm to express his confidence that God, in fact, will deliver him. So he starts out in great distress, and then... The more he applies to God, the more he worships God in the composing of this psalm, the stronger his faith grows and he ends up with a portion of great praise and glory to God. You you see verse 7, here's where our psalm, Psalm 108, begins. My heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise, awake my glory, awake lute and harp, I will awaken the dawn, I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. Does that sound familiar? I will sing to you among the nations, and so forth. Psalm 57 verses 7 through the end of the psalm, verse 11, are the first portion of Psalm 108, interestingly. You can turn a couple of pages to Psalm 60 and you'll see something similar. There's a long inscription. Before we begin this psalm, urgent prayer for the restored favor of God to the chief musician, set to Lily, another the name of another tune, a mitham of David for teaching when he fought against Mesopotamia and Syria of Zobia, and Jacob returned and or Joab rather returned and killed 12,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. And how does it begin? With lament, with concern, with a burden. Oh God, you have cast us off. You have broken us down. You have been displeased. Oh, restore us again, and so forth. But then, once again, David rises above the lament and the pleas for help, and he starts to Praise God with words like these. Uh, Verse 6, God has spoken in his holiness. I, this is God now speaking, I will rejoice. I will divide Shechem and the measure of the valley of Succoth. Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim is the helmet for my head. Judah is my lawgiver. Moab is my washpot. Over Edom I will cast my shoe. You, You probably remember all of those words out of the psalm I read, Psalm 108. And so David starts out in great burden, distress we might say, and then rises once again to full confidence that God will deliver and he ends up praising God. So the setting and purpose of Psalm 57 is when David was running from Saul and hiding in the cave of Engedi, He begins with a lament for the suffering that he was experiencing for the danger that he saw, but nevertheless began to praise God for deliverance that he was confident God would bestow. So David, in, his, in the very middle of the psalm, in the midst of praising God with this psalm, he rises above suffering and, and with increasing growing confidence begins to praise God for the deliverance he knows God will give. And that's a good lesson for us when you are burdened down, when you are distressed, when you are fearful, when you are concerned about, about calamities that are crashing in upon you, what do you do? Do what David did. Go to God in prayer and praise. Worship Him. Start at whatever level you are at. Start pouring out your pleas to him for help, for strength. Lord, you know of this calamity. You know of this difficulty. You know I am struggling. And then begin to recall in your worship, your private worship, as well as your public worship, but your private worship, begin to recall the promises of God. And as you remember those promises and name those promises back to God in prayer, your faith is going to be increased. And before you know it, Your prayer that started out in great burden and difficulty and despair will no doubt end up with joy and praise and thanksgiving to God. That's what happened in David's case in Psalm 57. A similar thing happened in Psalm 60. David is at war when he composed Psalm 60 with Babylon, Syria, and Edom. Mighty Babylon had not risen to their zenith yet, But they were coming at him, Syria, a mighty force in David's day that he eventually conquered by the grace of God, the power of God, a mighty conquering. But that hadn't come yet when he wrote Psalm 60, Edom, that remained a thorn in the side of Israel for centuries. They would be put down and they would rise again and come back. They would be put down and they would rise again and come back. Edom, of course, grew out of Esau, Jacob's twin brother. And they were enemies, had been enemies for hundreds of years in the days of David, are still enemies of the seed of Jacob in 2023. We see some of that going on in the Middle East today. But that Psalm, Psalm 60, when David was at war with these nations around him, now king, his first Psalm, 57, was before he was king. Now Psalm 60 composed when he's king, but very much in fear because of the stronger armies that were coming against him. And so it's his song of worship to God, Psalm 60, begins with lament for suffering and possible defeat, crying out to God for help and ends in praise and confidence in the deliverance of God. So both Psalms 57 and 60 include elements of fear, of anxiety, of desperation, but both of them rise above fear and suffering to end up praising God. And so now we come to what we might call the repurposing of Psalm 108. It is composed by putting together two sections of psalms that begin with lament and, and casting aside, as it were, setting aside those sections of lament from both of those psalms, only the sections that deal with praise and confidence in God are put together to, for a new psalm, Psalm 108, which combines the sections of these two psalms into one psalm of unbroken praise. There is no fear, there is no anxiety, there is no lament at this time in David's life. And therefore a psalm of unmitigated praise and assurance is appropriate because God's grace, God's mercy, God's wisdom, God's power must be celebrated by public praise to God. And thus the composition of Psalm 108. But now let's focus a little more narrowly upon our text for today, verse 3, our Missions Month text for this year. And what does it say? Psalm 108, verse 3, I will praise You, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to You among the nations. Here's a declaration. By David. And his declaration is number one. To praise God with his voice. Number two. To honor God with his devotion. And number three. To magnify God among the nations. I will praise you. O Lord. I will praise you. O Lord. It's interesting that some other translations write. I will give thanks to you. O Lord. Praise and thanksgiving are so closely intertwined that either word will be a suitable translation of what was written in the original. So my Bible says, I will praise you, O Lord. Your Bible may say, I will give thanks to you, O Lord. How can we give thanks to God without praising him? How can we praise God without thanking him? They go so closely together. And David declares that that's exactly what he's going to do. He is going to render thanksgiving and praise to God vocally, not just in his heart, but from his heart vocally and publicly. That is his determination, his declaration. Yes, he will sing praises vocally and publicly. His praises will be voiced, they will be spoken, they will be heard by others, and for the most part, in David's case, they will be sung, for he is a singer, the sweet psalmist of Israel, and he composes psalms and he will sing his praise to God. And so the declaration of our text is that David will praise God with his voice, he will praise God with singing. And thus we should see how important singing is in God-honoring worship. In fact, I could say it even more strongly than that, how necessary singing is in God-prescribed worship. A lot of Christians don't seem to understand that God has prescribed certain elements that are to be included in the public worship of Him. A lot of Christians seem to have the idea that whatever we want to offer to God is good, he'll, he'll accept that. You know who that sounds like? Who was that Cain? Who offered his idea of what was an acceptable offering to God and God did not receive his offering? Whereas he received the offering of Abel. Because Abel obviously paid attention to what God prescribed. This is what you are to bring. Abel brought what he was told to bring. Cain said, whatever I do with my hands, my ideas, that ought to be acceptable to God. God said, not. So what do we bring to God in our corporate worship of him? Every detail is not described and prescribed in scripture. But there are certain elements that are prescribed. When we gather together to worship God, public prayer is to be offered to him because the New Testament tells us that it is to be offered to him. When we come together to worship God, singing is to be part of that worship service. We are to sing with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Did you notice we sang two psalms today, or one, and we'll sing another one at the closing. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace from our hearts to the Lord. This is our corporate worship. If you come to worship God and do not open your voice with the assembly of the saints, to sing praise to Him, then you have fallen short of what He prescribed. You've fallen short of the reason, one of the reasons for your coming to public worship. Singing is important, along with the preaching of God's Word and the humble and and believing acceptance of God's Word, along with the giving of our tithes and offerings. All of this is worship unto the Lord, prescribed by Him. And so David declared that he would praise God with his voice, and David declared secondly that he would honor God with devotion. Let's look at the first two verses of the psalm leading into our text. Oh God, my heart is steadfast. That speaks of devotion, commitment, determination. My heart is steadfast, I will sing and give praise, even with my glory which apparently is a reference to his soul. And then, awake, lute and harp, I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your mercy is great above the heavens, and your truth reaches to the clouds. David declares that he will honor God with devotion. This is not half-hearted worship. This is not leftovers worship. This is steadfast worship. This is committed worship. This is devoted worship. This is worship that involves some measure of skillful preparation. I will, or he says, awake, lute and harp. What is that? The instruments that he has spent a lifetime mastering to such an extent that Remember when King Saul was troubled in heart, was really troubled by, by uh, demonic spirits that were troubling him. And it seemed like the only thing that soothed his soul was to have music played for him. And so somebody said, find the most skillful musician that you can find in all the nation of Israel. And who did they bring? David. He didn't get to be a skillful player on the harp or the lute, another stringed instrument, by just saying tum de dum de dum There it is. <laughs> like I tried to do years ago with a mandolin I bought at a yard sale, and uh, I devoted about two or three hours to trying to learn to play it. Decided I, I it was too, too too difficult to master, and so I put it aside, my wife sold it at another yard sale, and there's more to the story I won't tell you now. But you can't master a mandolin in two or three hours, it's going to take a whole lot longer than that. You don't master the piano with two or three hours, it's a lifetime of practicing and, and giving it devoted attention and work and labor and that's what David says I'm going to bring in my praise and thanksgiving to God. Awake, lute and harp. Figurative way of saying, get the instruments ready that I've been preparing all of this time. Awake, lute and harp. He's going to worship God with devotion. He's going to worship God with the instruments that he has been practicing for years to bring to a place of excellence in his worship to God. God deserves our best, the best we can give Him. Not everyone is equally skilled in instruments and not everyone is equally skilled in singing. Some people say, well, my voice isn't good, I can't sing. You can sing. You may not sing like somebody else sings, but you can sing. Open your mouth and sing. but with skillful preparation and with accompaniment. His singing was accompanied by instruments. And he is honoring God with his devotion. He is prioritizing his worship of God. He says, this is so important. It's got to be the first thing I do in the day. In fact, I start this before the sun rises. Isn't that what he said? Awake lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. I'm going to be up before dawn. The dawn isn't going to awaken me, I'm going to awaken the dawn. I'm going to start before then and give it my first, to give it my best, to give it my utmost devotion to God. This all speaks of his determination to honor God with devotion. First of all to honor God with His voice, and secondly to honor God with His devotion. And this tells me that corporate worship, particularly singing, should be skillfully prepared. How we thank God for musicians who are willing to give hours of their time to prepare music to aid the people of God in corporate worship. Thank God it's been a long time since I have heard what I used to hear as a boy, when someone would get up to sing and say, We ain't had time to practice, so you all pray for us while we sing. (laughs) And I think a proper response would be, sit down and practice, and when you're ready, tell us so we can have you sing. We give God our devotion. We don't give Him the leftovers. We don't give Him the, 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 the sloppy lack of preparation that some people bring to the worship of God. So David declares his praise to God with voice, David declares he will honor God with devotion. David declares, and now we get into the heart of our missions emphasis, David declares that he will magnify God among the nations. Verse 3, I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples, I will sing praises to you among the nations. Not among the people, singular, but among the peoples, plural, that means many nations many different people's groups I will sing praises to you among the nations not the nation singular not the nation of Israel only but the nations plural other nations all throughout the world the question is how did David carry that out his determination to sing praises to God not just to the people of his own land, his own nation, but to the peoples of the world, to the nations of the world. How how was David going to carry that out in his setting? Well no doubt as foreigners visited Jerusalem, and they did, David was king and representatives of other kingdoms would be coming to Jerusalem regularly. People would be coming for business to Jerusalem. Who? almost inevitably are not going to be worshipers of Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but are going to be worshipers of pagan gods Baal and Asheroth and so forth. And David says when they come to Jerusalem to conduct their business, whether they want to or not, they're going to hear me sing praises to God. Because praise to God should not only be the response of a redeemed people in worshipping their God, but praise to God should also be a testimony to those who need to know God. So David could do it that way, his foreigners visit Jerusalem. And also David was, by the help and grace of God, a great conqueror. He conquered Syria, he conquered Edom, he conquered all the nations around him as God gave him help to do so, amazing help at times, as his smaller army often completely routed superior armies. And that would mean that, at least on some occasions, David, if he was with the conquering army, would be going into these foreign nations, would be going into their capitals, would be going where their people were and their officials were, and working out the details of their tribute to him and so forth. And David said, they're not only going to hear the details of what they must do now that they're conquered, they're also going to hear praises to my God. They're going to hear me singing thanksgiving and praise to the God who allowed me to beat them, to have success militarily over them. They're going to hear me give honor to the God who brought that about. Even though they are pagans and worship other gods, they need to know who is really God, the one true God. They need to hear it and many of them will hear it from my lips as I go into these nations after the conquest which God allows. David had some opportunities to declare God's praise to the nations, but not as many opportunities as we have today, not as clear of instructions regarding this as we have today as new covenant believers. But David knew that God deserved to be known among the nations. He knew that. And he determined that he was going to do everything he could in his setting to carry out that understanding. God is glorious, God is great, God is wise, God is powerful, God is gracious. And all the nations of the world need to know that, they need to hear that. And so he looked for opportunities to magnify the name of Yahweh, the true God. And he seemed to be confident that his psalms of praise, such as this one, would be heard in all the world. He may not have known to the fullest extent how that was going to happen, but he seemed to understand that that was one of the purpose for which which God directed him to write these psalms of praise. Did he, therefore, at his stage and location in life, did he envision the gospel age when the gospel would go forth to the ends of the world and with it the word of god the bible and with it the psalms that he had composed and with these very words which he composed more than 2500 years ago be heard all throughout the world and david knew that when he said i will praise you o lord among the peoples i will sing praises to you among the nations Is that speculation going beyond what we have a right to consider? Well, at least hear me out, I have good warrant for what I just said. Because Spurgeon thought that, and I'm quoting from his Treasury of David, he said, David was inspired to foresee that his Psalms would be sung in every land. David was inspired to foresee that his Psalms would be sung in every land. And indeed it appears to me that the Apostle Paul thought so too. So I think we've got even biblical evidence for this. In Romans chapter 15 when Paul says in verse 8, Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God, to confirm the promise made to the fathers and, verse 9, that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy as it is written. He's going to quote now from the Old Testament. What is he going to quote? For this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. It's a Septuagint translation quotation of our text. Paul said the Gentiles are going to hear of the greatness of our God because the Bible says so. It was written that that would take place in Psalm 103 or 108 verse 3 and Psalm 57 from which Psalm 108 was composed. So now let me take up a few applications for us before we close this out. First a minor one, but I couldn't help but mention it. The composition of this psalm and putting together two other psalms in this way indicates that repetition and rearrangement are approved by God. It needs to be meaningful repetition and thoughtful rearrangement, but there's nothing ungodly about that as a matter of fact. Because of the weakness of our frame, We need a certain measure of repetition. We don't always get it the first time, or the second time, or the third time, or the fourth time. We need it, don't we? Repetition. And so David repeats in Psalm 108 what he had written earlier in Psalm 57 and 60 with the approval of the Spirit of God who directed him to do that and put it in the sacred scriptures. But now on to some applications that are more in line with our Missions Month emphasis. First of all, this psalm teaches us that we should honor God with our praise. Do you do that? Do you do that when you come to church? Surely you do. But sometimes I see people who stand or sit while others are singing with closed lips and do not seem to find it important to open their mouths in praise to God. May I encourage you to get beyond whatever it is, whatever the obstacle, whatever thinking, whatever justification, whatever reasoning has led you to think that that's alright. Will you please get beyond that and pay attention to the word of God and open your lips and sing praise to God when you are with the assembly of the saints. But we should not only honor God with our praise among God's people but also among the pagans, among the heathen, among those who are not God's people around us. They should hear our praise to God. say, how can I do that? Well, one way would be by softly singing some good songs as you're going about your business. Not loud, intrusive, but just softly. People will pick up on that. I sometimes do that without even thinking, I've done it for so long, for so many years, and somebody say, he's crazy, he's he's singing to himself, well I may be, but you're hearing a little bit of it and maybe the Lord will use that in your life as well. So we should honor God with our praise, not only when we're with the people of God, but when we're out in public, not only when we're at church, but when we are at home with our family, that is vitally important. We should honor God with our praise vocally. We praise God out loud, not just feel thankful in our hearts. We should honor God with our praise enthusiastically. I referred to the two texts, the one in Ephesians 5 and one in Colossians 3, that talk about the importance of singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And both of those texts have words that indicate it needs to be done Enthusiastically, it needs to be done from our hearts, with heart devotion unto God, enthusiastically. We should honor God with our praise vocally, we should honor God with our praise enthusiastically. We should honor God with our praise thoughtfully. and by that I mean we should be thinking about what we are singing. We should be thinking about what we are saying. Some people are just borne along by the music, by the the um, they like the tune, they like the song. They're borne along by the words, but but they hardly ever think about what they mean. That's not very good worship to honor God with. We think about the truth that we are hearing. We think about the truth that we are singing. We think about the doctrines that are being declared and that inspires our hearts all the more to sing enthusiastically. We should be getting excited about what we are singing if we are thinking about the words that we are singing. We should honor God with our praise. And then secondly as we've already seen from this psalm we should honor God with our devotion. It ought to be a matter of priority not the leftovers I've seen this on the internet several times. Everything else shouldn't be the reason you can't attend church. Church should be the reason why you can't do everything else. And that's got it right, isn't it? And that's just a a way of saying, I'm not talking specifically about that issue, though I think I could, but that's just a way of saying, God deserves our first, God deserves our best, God deserves the utmost of our devotion, not whatever's left over. David set the example for that as he showed us in this Psalm how much he was committed to the worship of God. This is so important that I spend years preparing my instruments for it. This is so important that I get up before the sunrise in order to do this at the first and freshest part of my day. And we too should honor God with our devotion. And we should magnify God among the nations as David had a desire to do. Samuel Pierce in his commentary writes that this desire to magnify God among the nations that David wrote about, he says, quote, this would be most effectively done by sending the gospel among them by giving them a true apprehension of the person and work of Christ. How do we raise praise to God among the nations? By sending the gospel to the nations, by praying God's spirit. Pray that the spirit wise will open blinded eyes as we sing in one of our Missions Month songs. And that other people will be brought to know and love the Lord Jesus Christ and join us in singing praise to his name all around the world. And so we must magnify God among the nations by gospel proclamation, by declaring the gospel at home and abroad, by witnessing to those around us who need to know the Lord. They don't want to hear it. I know, many of them don't, but they need to be wise. Don't be overbearing and obnoxious, but don't be silent. Look for opportunities. I've been sharing with my wife how I've been trying to open the door for a witness with a particular um, person that I'm seeing for medical reasons. And uh, it's been tough. She doesn't want to hear it, doesn't want to hear anything about God, doesn't want to hear anything about the Bible, doesn't want to hear anything about church. But that doesn't stop me from inserting things almost every time I visit, I find something She asked, how are are you going to celebrate Thanksgiving? I'm glad you asked. It starts on Tuesday night at church with a praise and thanksgiving service. We will give testimonies of God's goodness to us, and we will sing praise to Him. Well, that's nice. (laughs) I mean, you know. you, You run into the same thing yourself. But not everybody wants to hear it, but everybody needs to hear it, right? You never know when the spirit wise will open blinded eyes. And so we should magnify God among the nations at home and abroad and by helping missionaries who are prepared and called by God and willing to go to faraway places that we would never go to but we can help send others there. And we support them by our prayers and we support them by our giving so that they can go. So that a gospel message can be taken to places, in some cases, where it has never before been heard. Like among the Kauai Kauai of uh, Papua, Indonesia and other places. And so we magnify God among the nations by gospel proclamation. We magnify God among the nations by gospel expansion. As the gospel expands, God is more highly magnified. We magnify God among the nations by gospel enthusiasm because we become enthusiastic when we see Christ being honored. We become enthusiastic when we see sinners being informed of their need of Christ and of the wonderful work that Christ did on behalf of sinners. We get enthusiastic when we hear reports of souls that have truly been saved and changed. We become enthusiastic when we learn that churches have been established in far-flung places. We become enthusiastic when we know that God's praise is being heard in every nation. And I can tell you by observation and experience that God blesses a missions-minded church because Missions brings praise to God. I can tell you that God blesses mission-minded individuals because their enthusiasm for missions enables churches that they belong to to be involved in missions. God blesses those who give with a right heart motive because they give that the gospel may go and that Christ might be honored and that his praise might be sung among the nations. God enables those who give with the right heart motive to be able to give and to even in many cases increase their ability to give as they give in order to bring honor and glory to God. So let us, with David, find ways to praise God among the nations, shall we pray. O Father, we pray, teach us thy ways and show us thy paths.